Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey, and welcome to What Future? I'm your host, Joshua Topolsky. And today, we have a very special episode. I have to say, I want to bring it, just bring it down a notch. I want to bring it down several notches. Very special episode. You may or may not know this, but my brother, I have a brother, first off. You may or may not know that. Um, His name is Eric. And he's my older brother, though. Many people say that they think I'm the older brother because I'm so sophisticated and mature. Eric is a musician. We've made music together. Uh, but also he's made a lot of music separately and he has a band you've probably heard me talk about before. Maybe you haven't. I don't know. I don't know what you've heard. I don't even know who I'm talking to when I say you. I'm not sure who I'm envisioning. But at any rate, he's got a band called Tan Lines uh, with his friend Jesse, our friend Jesse. They've made a lot of music and then they took a break and they have just recently released a new record called The Big Mess on Merge Records, which is a great label. You know, I say this, understanding that I can't give a fair and balanced review like a Fox News host. I can't just go straight down the line and tell you, you know, the truth. But I will say my truth is I think it's a great record and it's got really, really good, smart, interesting, sometimes funny songs on it. Again, I, I say this as a as a man with a lot of personal investment in the record because <laughs> my brother made it, you know, and I like to support stuff he does. But I will say Forgetting that, I can be a very cruel and mean-spirited brother, 
And I think if the record sucked, I would definitely say it. And it, it, it doesn't. I really enjoy it. And so I thought it'd be fun to have him and Jesse on the podcast to talk about making the record and probably, you know, some other things because they're both uh, very interesting guys with a lot to say. So that's what I've done. We've got Eric and Jesse here and we're going to talk about music and more. So let's get into it. Now we're here to talk about uh, a new record. Is that correct? Is that is that what I'm is that what I'm to understand? I'm, they're telling me that you guys have put out a hot new LP. Now I haven't listened to it, but everybody on the team has listened to it, and they say it's just fantastic, just terrific stuff. So tell me a little bit. First off, tell me a little bit about yourselves, and tell me about this new album. This is Josh's Morning Zoo, right? So the Tan Lines just put out this new album, and. Uh, Tony, have you heard this? Have you heard? It's crazy music. I don't even know what the, are these songs are. They are they are they singing? Are they rapping? No one knows. Anyhow, okay. So tan lines. You went on hiatus. You both had several children. Is this how you do the pod? I just go in. I don't do this intro shit. Oh, I'm here with Jesse and Eric from Tan Lines. I don't do that shit. That's fucking dumb. But you do it like you record like an intro later. I'll, later, I'll do an intro, like a little bit of me talking about like why we're doing this podcast. And I like that you've listened to the show. You know, now, you know, it's obvious you've listened to many episodes. <laughs> I, I, I've been off podcasts, honestly. Hey, fair enough. Listen, I, like I said, I've said yet to listen. I got to sit down and put the album on, you know, but uh, <laughs> I heard there's some great tunes on it. I've been told there's some great music on that thing. You are the test person. <laughs> I've heard all of it. I've heard the album many times. We have it down at the store. We put it on, you know, and it's like that scene in um, High Fidelity when uh, Jack Black puts on uh, uh, with some whatever record, some obscure. It's like, you know, I don't know. It's Jesus Lizard or something. Everybody's like, you know, what is this? This is great. And he sells six copies of it. But what do people buy when our album's playing? Actually, uh, the other day, this, a guy bought uh, Silence of the Lambs, <laughs> Mystic River. <laughs> 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 and uh, he passed on Heat 2 because he hadn't seen the movie yet, which is strange to me because he was like a 40-year-old man. So I've never seen Heat. I mean, that we should just do a whole show on that. We should just I don't want I don't want to talk about anything else, actually, except that you're uh, I don't want we don't have to get into your exact age, but let's just say you're you're 43. Right, you're OK. If you want to put it out there, that's fine. I don't care. If you want your Wikipedia page to be updated, have at it. But please, but, I, I should yeah. be so lucky. Yeah. <laughs> but but you're a 43 year old man in America. Yeah. And you've never seen Michael Mann's. 1995 crime drama heat is that correct yeah that's weird is there a reason you've omitted that from the films you've watched is it is something do you have something against michael mann or do you hate great films or what is it i think it's really long <laughs> it's like two and a half hours <laughs> it's average nowadays you know it's like it's not 88 minutes like a movie from 1986 but you know you could do it i think two sittings maybe I heard it's it looks like slow and has gun violence on I'm not a big what's Pacino and De Niro. I'm not I don't really care about either of them. You know, actually, I gotta say something. Um, there are some scenes of gun violence in it. That's correct. Uh, though I will say the film is punctuated by gun violence, but I would not say that's the center of the film's drama. 
uh, if yeah. that makes any sense. I mean, I, I guess the allure of those two actors doing a movie together just didn't speak to me. Yeah, so. that's just unusual. Just, but, but beyond that, if, forget about the actors. Forget about Pacino and De Niro, who are, of course, both Oscar-winning uh, actors. And I would say at the, at the time they did Heat, at really the top of their game. Eric, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but... Uh, uh, the Oscars famously have never been wrong, too. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Actually, I think we're getting a little bit of a, a look into what drives, you know, at least some of tan lines, at least one half of tan lines. So we're getting a, a picture, a little peek behind the curtain of, of a man who's just against against nature, against against good things. As the wave comes crashing, you stand unmoved by the motion of the sea. And I think that says something you, about you, uh, you could say that I dance to my own drum machine. You could say that and you have, and now it's going to go on the promo clip for this episode. So, so, you know, it's your, you've made it's your, it's your show. It's your bed to make. And you've certainly done it. It's my epitaph. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now we got, now that we shook our sillies out, as they say, I think we can delve into the, the real reason we're here. First off, I should say up front, I guess, I mean, I don't know, I don't know who's listening to this podcast that doesn't know this, but I'm going to just, I want to put it out there for the, for the sake of transparency. I want to fully disclose the relationship here. Eric and I are brothers. We grew up together in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and we shared a home for at least a few years. And uh, we do share parents, true or false? All true. All true. (laughs) And, and, uh, Jesse's just a buddy, but I think if we told people he was related to us, they would they would not uh, bat an eye. They would go, yeah, three Jews just hanging out. Um, tall ones. <laughs> tall. Three yeah. tall uh, Jews, uh, which was, a, I understand, one of the alternate names for tan lines before you went with that. Uh, okay, let's get back into it. Here we go. Jesse was just telling me the Jews are typically short, and I didn't really yeah, that's think a, that. That's a thing. I think like a Portnoy's complaint era Jew is considered to be kind of a, you know, in that there's a, a, a corridor, let's say, you know, where there's the Jews in popular literature are depicted like a Woody Allen is would be a kind of prototypical. It's exactly the example he used. Yeah. Well, Woody Allen. But but I, I want to say that that the main character of Portnoy's complaint, whose name I believe is I want to say Portnoy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, Portnoy's complaint. You forget, but you won't see heat. Interesting. I want to say he's described as being short, but I'm not actually sure if that's true or not. He's he has a short personality. That's for sure. Certainly gives short. Yes, he's giving he's giving <laughs> short. Um, anyhow, Eric and I are brothers. Jesse and I are not. And but we have worked on music together uh, in the past. Yeah. We have worked on uh, Professor Murder music, a, a former band of of yours. Which uh, you know, the other day I was listening to, and I have to say, pretty good. Holds up. Pretty good stuff. Pretty enjoyable. Love that. All right. So look, we're going to get deep inside the the guts of the music industry and your place within it. But I want to start at the very beginning. Do you know the official year that Tan Lines became a thing? Mm -hmm. What was it? We printed it on the shirts. 2008. All right. 2008. You guys are making what I would describe as a kind of, uh, I mean, to be honest with you, when I first heard Tan Lines, now uh, the listener may know, hopefully the listener knows. You know, I used to make music. I used to make techno music. Actually, I just released two uh, two uh, electronic uh, dance songs recently. Um, <laughs> in the last in the last month or two, just for shits and giggles, just for the hell of it, you know, for sport. But I used to make music, and when you guys started making music together, I was like, oh, they're making. You guys are sort of making like dance music, which I thought was surprising. Well, Professor Murder had a dance vibe to it, but I mean, Eric, you uh, 
you never expressed an interest in techno music when we were uh, working on music together. Do you think that was, uh, do you think that was personal? <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking back to the, the dance group that we had before. Yeah, we, did, we did one dance track. That's true. Yeah. Golden Globus. That's true. So we didn't make a lot of dance music though. You know, those records come up sometimes on eBay. They do. Are they valuable? Hey, you know, also what? I'm trying to remember how I saw this. They're signed photos of tan lines. Yeah. On eBay. Like what? of me. Like I did, I Googled myself and it came up in an eBay search and I'm like, I have one specific memory of like a, a autograph shark. Like this is a guy that just gets everyone's autograph so he could sell later. And this was outside the Jimmy Fallon show. Okay. And like, this guy was not a fan. I could tell this guy goes to every show where there's a music artist mm. with a Oh, he's like a guy says, who Would you sign this autographs. for me? Right. If ever I should become famous, right? It's like a little investment. Right. That's smart. Actually, it's not a lot of effort, low investment on his part, but high reward possibly. Well, it takes a whole day. Uh, he has to spend the day waiting outside the yeah. Jimmy Fallon studio. Well, well, maybe sure. <laughs> well, he probably maybe, makes a yeah, day but, of it. You can go. You could start actually, at the Today Show in the morning and work all the way into. Uh, exactly. I was going to say, remember, there's multiple doing guests on the show, so he probably gets everyone as they come. <laughs> I could think of lower effort gambles you could make, but. We we also saw this in Sweden. It was every time we played in Sweden, there were always people just like waiting outside of the club who were asking for autographs. I, I, it's interesting. I can think of the one time in my life. I think the one two times in my life I've asked for autographs. Mm. And so I guess I kind of understand what it feels like. I know there are people who like to collect autographs or get autographs. Mine was uh, Shigeru Miyamoto, the creator of um, Super Mario. Huge at CS when I was 13 years old in, in Chicago. And the other one was uh, John Carpenter, who I, uh, I paid for a VIP backstage meet and greet with him because he's awesome. And I thought, when am I going to get a chance to hang out with John Carpenter for five seconds in a completely artificial manner? And, you know, it was worth it. Anyhow, okay, so wait, in Sweden, people were coming and asking for autographs that you didn't think were fans? I know they weren't. Oh. How do yeah. you know? You can't judge a book by its cover. They didn't come to the show. <laughs> well, maybe they couldn't get in. The tickets were sold out. They wanted to. They were such huge fans, but it was too late. Believe me, <laughs> they weren't sold out. <laughs> Actually, that was one of those shows in Sweden. I also remember where um, we got the excuse from the promoter. They were like, oh, don't worry about it. Everyone gets paid once a month and it's uh, next Monday. So that's probably why no one. Came. You guys missed the dull, the dull window had not yet opened or whatever. So otherwise it would have been a sold out show. The 29th day. Really bad timing. I have to say, as far as excuses go for things, that's like a pretty, a pretty good one. Pretty impressive. It's not like, it's not like, sorry, we didn't, you know, the, our promoter was out sick or something. It's like, because of the, the sociopolitical nature of this country, yep. <laughs> you you were unable to fill the, the venue, but it's not has nothing to do with you and completely to do with our, our political system and our social care networks that we have here. It's very interesting stuff. I mean, I do think that the selfie has like replaced the autograph like probably yeah. ten years ago. I think that change that shift happened. Yeah, and yet there's Eric's autograph on eBay, just waiting for someone to buy. Well, somebody's trying to get rid of it, you know. They'd rather have a selfie. I find, <laughs> I find as a mu as a former musician, one of the most uh, we're talking about finding an autograph on eBay. But 
One, one thing that I've always dreaded is being in a record store in like their dollar bin and uh, and finding my record. That to me is feels like a, a very it's not that bad. No, it's not I, that bad. Oh, it's happened to me. It happened to Jerry's actually in Pittsburgh. I my one of my records was in the dollar bin and I was like, you know, I deserve this. This is this is how I feel. I, I'd be happy to be in any bin. <laughs> that's, that's you know, beautiful. that's just an opportunity to reach a new audience. You know how hard that is in music? Right. It's like a Jack, when Jack Black puts on that record in High Fidelity. <laughs> okay. Anyhow, so you guys started making music in 2008 and you made music until what was the year where you kind of took a break? 2013? Is that the right? Is, am I saying that right? Is that the right year? No. 15? 16? 2015? 16. We played at South by Southwest 2016. And then Trump was elected and you went on Twitter and you said, I can't make art in a fascist dictatorship. That didn't happen, but... There was definitely a period where I felt like we were an Obama-era band. Mm. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry though, he's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hello. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica. 
a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances. And the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you guys stopped making music for a while. I want to talk about this during the Trump era. Not to say there was anything political about it. Coincided with the uh, birth birth of my firstborn. So right, really, the band was starting to slow down a little bit. My son was born, and I took some time back to like be a stay at home dad, basically. And just like a lot of people, when you leave your job to like raise a family, sometimes ends up taking longer than you plan to get back to work. Well, families are fairly complex, but a lot of people don't realize uh, what how much work having a family is. I think anybody thinking about having a family listening to this episode should know how much we know and how much we've seen. <laughs> you mean from a family, as, as far as families? As are parents, as, as being, you know, on the other side. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, something you have to be ready for. You know, I would I would have liked to have had kids when I was a little younger. I had a child at a, I wasn't old, but older. And I don't know. I feel like my energy levels are not what they used to be. I was, uh, it was nine years ago. So whatever the math, however the math works out on that, like 30 something, 30. How old was I? 36, 36. Yeah. I mean, which is like New York, you know, kind of. Right. Median age uh, for a lot of people having kids in New York. Yeah. Right. Yeah. My brother and sister had their kids a little earlier than me. And the way my, my brother, whose oldest kid is 21 now, um, oh my God. you know, he was like, yeah, you either, you know, have your kids first and then you do your living, you know, once they're moved out of the house or you do your living first mm-hmm. and then you have your kids. Yeah. And it seems like that's kind of a way to think about it. I think that's a very, very practical way to think about it. Yeah. And that, I think, brings us back to the music. So you guys were making a lot of music and then you stopped. You had families to deal with. Like you said, Jesse. Not not that your life stops no, 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 when you no. have I kids, get it. but it does reorient you. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. You have different priorities. I mean, that's understandable. And you did do a little, you did do some kid music in the interim, which was cute. Just, I feel like uh, it was a little bit of a lark, but you guys released some uh, children's songs at one point. Yeah. True or false. Eric, I see you. Uh, we did. Yeah. Uh, you have a making a face. Not really sure why, but. Uh, no, I do. I, I was a, you know, document of where we were at the time in our lives. It was like, we wanted to make some music and this was as much as we could really do. We were both doing, you know, the same kind of thing. But, but can I ask something? Can I yeah. posit something, maybe get your response to it? Sure. Sure. The music industry also went through like a dramatic upheaval in the in the time that you began making music to even I mean, obviously till now. But there was a that's a really interesting era where the Internet and I frankly like it has a lot to do with mobile devices and phones and things like Spotify appearing. 
the rethinking of the way people even engage with music, mm-hmm. the music industry that you were at in 2016 was pretty different than the one that you began in, in 2008. I, I would agree. I would say that the difference between 2008 and 2016, when we kind of stopped for a while, was way bigger changes than what's happened from 2016 to now. Right. No, I, I think that's right. I mean, like many things in culture, actually, I think 2016 is a pretty good place to put a pin in a bunch of cultural things that just sort of continued to grow and become more all-encompassing. 2008, we started in the, Talent started in the MySpace era, <laughs> CDs. You had a MySpace. The big, the big thing in that, we printed our MySpace address on our first record, yeah. regrettably. It's amazing. But, no, that's cool. But but when we signed, it is actually grown to be cool. It's cool. But, Trust uh, me. But when we first signed our first record deal, you know, the big thing was selling MP3s on the iTunes store. Like that was the benchmark of how you, you know, just sold music, basically. Right. 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 Yeah. iTunes sales. I looked at my TuneCore recently and they're like, there's iTunes sales on it. I'm always like, you know, it's not very much, but I'm like, who's who bought who bought the single? They bought an, a song. This is a strange. You could see it was like that period where like the record labels had like sort of reluctantly accepted that like selling digital was what they had to do because they were built to sell physical. Right. And then they had adjusted to selling digital in the eight years since since then. Obviously, streaming became the the thing that they learned to accept. And in the eight years from 2016 till now or seven years, it's not, it doesn't feel that different. I mean, TikTok is, I guess, a big, huge difference. Right. And social media is, is, I guess, a big, huge difference. But that's a little bit more on the marketing side of things. But isn't everything marketing to some degree now? Is it more than ever? I mean, maybe I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, but I I might for a moment. I mean, yeah, you should. You know, when you think about the progression of of how we even listen to music, yes, there are all these technological changes, right? It's streaming now versus buying an album or whatever. But but also, what music is to people has changed in the sense that if you go back to like pre-internet and pre-music, music being readily available on the internet or things that are like music, for instance, video or streaming like content, you know, music is in many ways like the cultural carrier. Like there's not a lot of things that permeate culture in the way that music does. And it, and it permeates through like radio and MTV. Yes, of course, like, but much more gate kept channels of distribution, but also much more universal channels of, of distribution. Right. So in the 1980s, like your culture was music, like people identified culturally through music. Right. I mean, when you think about the, the subgenres of music, right? You think about like punk rock or, you know, whatever. It wasn't just like people listened to music. They were identifying who they were through music. And I feel maybe this is just me randomly plucking signals out of thin air, but doesn't it feel like what music is to people now doesn't carry the same cultural weight in a way? Like I feel like people listen to music to be seen listening to music or to talk about listening to music, but I don't know how much there's like people who define who they are through music the way they used to. And and maybe this is just an old person talking. I I think you're wrong. Really? 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's changed, but like the internet has accelerated fandom, like in an unbelievable way across the board. And music is probably the place where you, you see it most. I mean, people identify, yeah, but, but is fandom the same thing? No, I'm not sure it is. So, so I, I agree with you that it's less like I'm a punk rocker and it's more like I'm a Swifty. Yeah, right? but that's a, that's a pretty big difference. It, of course it is. You know, I mean, yeah, I see what you're saying, but like, I feel like Taylor Swift fandom is not the same thing as, as discovering like this world of music and then having it, you know, sort of shape who you are as a person, which, which happened to a lot of people. I, I think it is for them. Um, I think it's, I, I do think it is not that mm. different. Like it's mm. an identity, you know, it's <laughs> tailor made, no pun intended in that case <laughs> for like, uh, you know, a certain type of consumption that's different than it was back in, back in the day. Like right. we're viewing the lens through like one particular brand or idol. Right. But I, I, I mean, first of all, there are definitely people who identify as like, I'm into country. I'm into. No, of course, people know. still, there's still people who find their, you know, find themselves through music. But I'm saying that like, there was a period where what was on the radio was, uh oh, just lost my video for some reason. That's weird. too hot. Your takes are too yeah, no, hot. No, <laughs> too actually, hot. My, I think my camera <laughs> overheated, which is unfortunate. Let me put the air on in here. It's, maybe it's too warm in this room. This happened right. to us on stage once at Governor's Ball. Oh, really? Yeah. Like you're what what True. wait, what what failed? Our, com our computer overheated. <laughs> overheated. <laughs> it was just like, no, sorry. Overheated. Yeah, uh, no, it, it did. It, it was. Uh, but I think the people out there thought we were doing like a remix because it sounded all crazy. <laughs> what did you do? We stopped the show um and they brought out a fan. They literally brought <laughs> yeah. out a fan and put it on our computer. I was like, this'll never work. Yeah. Uh, and I reset the computer and it worked and we finished the set. And like, I actually learned a really important lesson that day, uh, because I was like, this is the most mortifying and humiliating thing that can happen. Yeah. The worst has happened. We're on a yes. big festival stage. There are thousands of people watching us. We are completely exposed and vulnerable because we rely on the technology. We don't have a backup plan. The literally the worst happened. And then everyone I talked to afterwards was like, great show and i was like didn't you i was like oh that was really hard they're like what are you talking about i was like well we had these technical problems they're like oh okay yeah <laughs> like, no. i was like no one thinks about you as much as you think about you and also <laughs> at a festival especially it's like people paid four hundred dollars for those weekend passes or whatever like they want to have a good time and they're going to have a good time. So they're like, going to, they're going to shape their own reality to just, yeah, to kind of smooth yeah. over the rough patches. Yes. Yes. I, I mean, that's interesting. And they were very understanding of what was happening. And I think, you know, there was a roaring applause when the computer booted up and we went back right. Yeah. To that's it. sort it of, fun. I get that. It's sort of in a way you, you overcame, uh, you all together overcame a, a difficulty to party on. It, it, it were like 10 awkward minutes. I don't think most people really knew or understood. What'd you do? It was 10 minutes. It was 10 minutes. I, I don't know. It felt like an eternity, but it was probably. Yeah. 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 It was certainly yeah. like too long. Yeah. Yeah. Now you can just plug in an iPhone. You'd be fine. You have a, you have something. You have something else with songs on it, right? Like we always had that, and we never used it once. Really? I don't know why we didn't Very use stupid. it. Right? We always had like an iPod, or we had a backup a for a while that we, we never had some used. Kind of yeah. So getting back to the music thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
To me, I, when I think about the industry of music, I think it's like one of the hardest, ugliest, you know, most difficult places to create art. It's a real industry of haves and have not. I mean, everybody, everything is to some extent, but music is especially like brutal in the sense that you're kind of putting your, a lot of people are putting their like heart and soul into this like piece of work. And often like it's really performance art, right? Like you have to perform it. Like in many ways, you have to literally perform it. And a lot, a lot happening in this question. Well, it's just, it's just to the way music had changed, have any impact on, on your decision to to like step back, to focus on other things. Was there any bit of that in those, in that decision? Was there any bit of like, you know, it's hard to juggle both things, but does it feel like the landscape went and moved in a different, you know, in a way that you guys, I don't know, didn't like? No, I'll give my answer. Then Eric can give his, which is, I don't think the landscape shifted in the sense for the decision. I think it's always been hard for people to make music their living and their job, whether it's 2008 or 1985 or 2023. Mm. So I I do think that it factored into my decision about wanting to take a step back. Um, It factored into my day-to-day decision-making. It's like, do I want to hire a babysitter for eight hours to go over to the studio with Eric? And like maybe write a song. Right. Kind of a luxury. That seemed like a hard thing to do. But in terms of what you're saying, like in the ways that it changed, I don't remember feeling like, hey, man, if it was 2005 and we could sell these CDs, I'd be right back <laughs> out there. But but nowadays with the Spotify and the that's, I'm, I, I, no, I don't remember thinking that. Because, I mean, it was hard in 2005, too. I mean it was never an easy thing. So I don't remember feeling like, you know, there's other artists that might disagree with me, people who made a living off of CDs, which like I never did. So, right. You didn't sell a lot of CDs. Is that what you're saying? I never li- I never like lived through the era of like, Oh, I sold my record enough times that like, that's where my income comes from. So right. I don't remember feeling like, Oh, things have changed in a way. I don't really want to do this anymore. I was more just like, Oh, I have these other responsibilities this is a hard way to make a living. I want to find a way to make music, but I don't know if I want to organize my whole life around it or not. Right. I mean, Eric, do you have a response to this question? Yeah. I mean, it's not the kind of business you can expect to have a, uh, you know, paternity leave package from. So, right. I don't know. Pretty much. I agree with everything Jesse said. (laughs) This is Neil Strauss host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily to die for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts 
Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry though, he's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. We're not talking about the, like, do I want to keep making music in some form or another? Like, do I want to keep writing songs? Like, that's a constant, I think. I mean, I think we know the answer because you just released a new record. Yeah, but even without doing a new record, it's like the discussion we're having is about, like, the job of it, I think, more than the art of it. Right. Yeah. There are plenty of people who make records, you know, at home for themselves after eight, and they enjoy it very much. Yeah. Yeah, like, And and that's good enough. That's what I do. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't need uh, other parts of it. Well, what I what I discovered is, is uh, what if I was making music just like for fun, if it was just for fun? Yeah. Anyhow, sorry, I don't mean to get into this like thing. And maybe it's my thing, honestly, because I think about it a lot about like mm-hmm. doing jobs that are the things that you're passionate about and what it's like to turn something that you feel really strongly about, like creatively into something that becomes, you know, work. Uh-huh. which maybe this is well-trod territory, but I think it's, yeah, you know, I just think it's interesting. It's a bad business and I wouldn't encourage anybody to do it unless they felt like it was their calling and they were passionate about it and wanted to do it no matter what. And that's what you kind of have to think like, you know, like you're like, this is what I do. Right. Right. You kind of have to have that attitude, especially if you're going as long as like, you know, I personally feel like I am. Right. Well, I mean, you, you've been in bands since how old were you when you were in your first I, actual I've done it my whole life. Band. It's all I know how to do. It's all that I do. Well, I mean, it, you and I used to play music together in our basement when we were teenagers, like like young teenagers. Yeah, those, when, I got you, tapes. How old were you in yeah. your first band, like first real band? Was it Don Cab? Uh, it was Storm and Stress. Was Storm and Stress was pre-Don right, pre Cab. I mean, that's, that's right. the first real band, yeah. 
Well, there was no brothers band. You guys never did a show together. Ah, we jammed and played. We played a block party, right? Okay. We played the block party. We did battle the bands in Mount Lebanon. Tell me about them. What it what was your set? We just talked. I just saw Scott. Did I tell you? Did uh, I tell you that? Our old friend Scott Aiello. Scott Aiello. You and the first the thing he day. mentioned to me was, I, I honestly, even right now, I can't remember the name of the band. It's something vulgar. But he yeah, was like, remember was, when we did uh, the thing at the Battle of the Bands? Yeah, it was like um, the name of the band was something like, um, it was like oh, Flood of Dysentery. Flood of Dysentery or something the horrible. Name the, yeah. the name of the band was Flood of Dysentery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't even have to. I can't believe I fucking remembered it because I remember almost nothing. He, he remembered all the songs. He's like, yeah, I remember Bagels and Cream Cheese. Yeah, bagels. You know? do, we do, the, do we do 666? The Beast Inside of Me. Who was singing? Scott was our singer. He was a wild man. Still is a wild man. Did he do any of our songs that we, you and I did that we, that we came, we, Eric and I had did like fake. No, we had our own songs. Yeah, Yeah. we had our own like thrash songs. This is Eric on guitar and you on drums. Correct. And, and I think uh, me singing in for different, for different songs. When we were first playing in our basement, the songs were like, I would say we were sort of joking. The songs were all funny. Like, kind of like sludgy metal, like demonic metal sort of related things. W- wanting to be serious, but with like enough self-awareness that like you're not really that thing. Hmm. Right. And like so one of the songs is definitely called kind of 666 fun. and then in parentheses, the yeah. beast inside of me. That was the, and right. I wasn't serious. I mean, I was 13 or something. It was, I thought funny. it was funny. It seemed funny. Like some, like uh, some 41, like it was kind of, but not some 41 style music. It was very different than that, but they obviously weren't taking themselves too seriously. Yeah, but I don't know if we performed any of those. No. Anyhow, yeah, we played battle, battle of the Bands. Eric and I didn't make music together till we were till we were much older. Till he had had a music career and I had had a music career well, separately. Uh, uh, aside from Flood of Dysentery. Flood of Dysentery, which was just a, for fun. It was for, I think it started with me and Eric playing and then there was some Battle of the Bands in a suburb of where our friends went to high school. And, uh, we were like, we should do it. And it was like the, it was like three of Eric's friends and me playing drums and Eric. And it was nobody was taking it seriously. It was a complete joke. It was like it was something to do. It was the culture that, that, <laughs> that begat jackass. That was, that was what we were doing. We were like skating. And there was a famous story about one of Eric's friends that he went into, uh, <laughs> he went into like Wendy's and ordered a frosty. And then when he got the frosty, he smashed it into his face. And, uh, you know, everybody thought it was like amazing because it was just so stupid. And I think like, that's kind of like the vibe. It was like amazing because it was so stupid as how my memory. Eric, does this sound wrong? My misremembering? It sounds hazy. Hazy. Sounds hazy. Yeah, that was a pretty specific memory for me, honestly. But I have a vague memory, a vague memory. Jesse, you kind of have a skeptical look on your face. I'm trying to figure out. No, what you're... you 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 guys <laughs> sound like really cool, dumb teenagers and doing those things. That sounds great. And and you were Is talking... that sarcasm? No, Are you being sarcastic right now. No, I'm, okay. I'm being saying you were saying how you missed doing it for fun, and then you immediately yeah. told this story about when you did it for fun. Yeah, totally for fun. Yeah. But I think like even at a professional level, you kind of have to approach it as like a thing you enjoy. And the reward of it is like you get to do that thing that's fun for your job. Right. right? Yeah. So for me, that's like I'm not I'm not I don't feel guilty when I'm having fun making a song. Right. right? But the inverse of that is the thing you do for fun becomes a job. Right. And like when things become a job, they often become less fun. It it is weird, like with music, that it's one of the few things where it's like, Success is determined by just being able to make any living off of it. <laughs> right. 
not being too stupid rich, but like, yeah. Oh, I don't have a, nor- I don't have a day job. I just do this. Right. There's a lot of careers, creative careers that are like that. And, you know, I tell people, oh, I was mostly, it was my job for our, almost 10 years. And people are like, oh my God. And it does actually put, I would say us in the top percentage of for sure. musicians in the world. That's correct. There's a vastity of people who would love to make a living, any kind of living ever on music and will never do it. And I felt very, very, very fortunate to be able to live that life for the time that I was able to to do that. But what does that say about the how we value music? Right, you know, right. it's, you know, I, I can't help but feel like music is sort of returned in some ways to this pre-commercial era when it was just like, music existed in your life because there were people playing it. Hmm. And I think as an industry, we've, it's just sort of coalesced around so few, so few people right? that now the majority of music is just something that exists around us. Oh, that's interesting. Actually. I mean, I had, uh, I had this uh, singer and songwriter Penelope Scott on the show and I became like obsessed with her music. I just think it's super fucking interesting. It's extremely weird. And it's like a mixture of like folk music and chip tune stuff and uh and you know she got popular on tiktok but like i think to 99 out of 100 people that i mentioned her to nobody knows who she is and yet she has a following where she does shows and i mean you know maybe i'm like countering the, the point that i made earlier about you know how we identify ourselves through music or whatever maybe it's more possible than ever because there's more music than ever right i mean we're a, we're awash a in in new music and in, in different music and the, you can reach more people like than ever before. When you were making music, Eric, uh, at the beginning, it's like to find Eric's music, you had to be somebody who read a weird newspapers or magazines <laughs> or listened to lived in a place that had a record store. Like the barrier to finding that music was so high. Right now, now it's insanely low. Yeah, but we have this inverse situation where it's just like. You know, there might be millions and millions and millions of people who know that song of that artist you were talking about who have no idea who sang it. That's correct. And that is actually, that is the case. And we talked a bit about the kind of way that music spreads on TikTok and how people remix it and use it in all these different contexts. And it's like the, I mean, that's, I mean, I don't know. That's the same thing as like finding your fan base. That's like, you know, your music can find a home, but not necessarily one where, you know, you're, you're connected to it. That's the difference between listeners and fans. Right. And so like, people now and all the marketing you're talking about is like, how do we connect listeners to fans? How do we turn listeners into fans? Right. That's really interesting. Actually, you're making me rethink my, I feel like I came into the conversation with a very dour attitude about music thinking like, and I, in fact, Laura and I were talking about this last night about this, the way that people used to kind of like define their personality because they had to be your thing about like, if you wanted to find Eric's music, you had to, you know, have a record store in your town or read like the city paper or whatever it is. But also like it was your network, mm-hmm. right? Your network was your net worth, <laughs> you know, like, but you know, you, the people you knew if they were into it would like lead you into it. And then you could go further into this thing and you'd feel like it was yours. Like, like, I don't think Swifties, it's not quite the same thing as Swifties because it's a, because it's a very productized version of that thing. You know, they didn't know what to do with one hit wonders at, at some point. Like they didn't know what to do with people who had a hit, but then like 
you know, maybe they, they knew somebody liked something about them, but they couldn't figure out how to like extract anything more from them. And then I think in the nineties, we figured out how to like turn like one hit wonder Disney teens into like lifetime sort of like artists like Britney Spears. And I think a lot of it has to do with like figuring out how to productize, how to productize fandom, how to productize like this feeling that you are part of this club that is special to you, but that's not the same thing as finding it on your own. You know, that's mm-hmm. anyhow, but, but, but to your point, there, there are things you can find on your own perhaps more than ever. And maybe that's, I, I a different... also think the like fundamental essential part of music, which is like that it is accessible. It delivers emotional depth really easily and really quickly and visceral mm. impact. Like it physically moves you. And the fact that like you can acquire it passively so like there's an ambientness to music that doesn't exist with like movies or right, right. TV doesn't work that way anymore. You're not just like flipping and you stumble upon something, right? No, that's right. TikTok is the closest thing we have to to, to flipping at this point, actually. Sure. You're right. That's true. Yeah. And, but music has always had a, you could passively acquire it. So right. like you could hear the song 10 times without trying and then you'd be like, oh, I like that song. Right. You know? It's one of the reasons that music is infiltrates us so deeply and people connect with it so deeply. Mm. None of that's changed. That's interesting. You're giving me a, it's a weirdly positive view on the whole thing. That's me. For me, like aging gracefully is like always trying to find a way to sort of be open to how music and the world has changed and the experiences that people are having with music are mean just as much to them as they did right. to me. Huh. I think it's really important to remain focused on that. But I want to talk about the record because we've sort of yeah. circled around the fact that you guys put out. So my, I was getting to, as we got into this whole conversation about like the nature of music and how it affects people and how people come to it. It was the fact that you kind of went away from it and then came back to it. And, you know, listen, I, I have, look, I'm biased because, you know, I, I know you guys, well, obviously Eric, Eric is my brother and Jesse, I know you very well. And I know a lot about you as people, as humans outside of the music. And I don't want to have a conversation where people to have conversations about music. They're like, what's I actually, I was joking about it at the beginning. Like, tell me about this new album. What's it all about? And I don't want to do that. And I don't think we need to, mm-hmm. but I am curious to know, like why it felt like there was a moment here or, or why I felt like these songs needed to exist. Was there something that spurred you to like make this thing real after all of this time? Or was it just like you had the time to do it? Yeah. Uh, I think after the pandemic started and when I came back to New York after being away from New York for a while and I, I had not been working on music, I opened up the computer just to see what I had last been doing. And I can't say what happened in that moment. I heard it and I was like, this was actually good. What was I, why, (laughs) what was I doing with this? And that happened more and more as the pandemic was happening. We were inside our our apartment, you know, and I kept going back to music, sort of like how I've always done when I'm in a time of crisis, which is like, go to the guitar, go to the room. You know, when I was a teenager, I would go up to my room and blast a record when I was mad or angry or sad or whatever. And uh, I think that that happened in the pandemic. And I, I had the opportunity to return to it in like more of a way than most people probably do, like oh, I actually had a band and I have things under my belt that I can continue on with should I choose to do so. And uh, and then, you know, as I started making more and more songs, I was like, well, I got to talk to Jesse about it and see what, you know, 
what's what's next what to do with it you know and um deciding to call it tan lines at a time where it didn't necessarily feel like it was developed in a way that tan lines typically developed an album uh you know i wasn't sure if i should even call it that so i mean that's interesting though like in this period where people were really i'm not trying to say this is like a pandemic record i know you've kind of shy away from the concept of it i I think everything after the pandemic is a pandemic something so yeah right well yes of course these i don't think these songs speak to my experience in the pandemic no but the but the but what you're describing of this like you're doing this thing on your own and then coming back to this partnership with jesse has a real like reflection of a pandemic sort of state of mind in the sense that everybody was you know separate i'm not trying to read into this i'm i swear but everybody was separated and doing their own thing yeah. and now we're like yeah. kind of pulling back together and i feel like to some extent the way the record developed knowing that you had worked on a lot of these songs on your own and then you and jesse sort of came back together to to put the record to build the record mm-hmm. i mean i think it's i don't know maybe it's reflective of of that era of our lives i think that it has evolved in such a way that like there's a there's a full returning to work story built into this. Definitely. <laughs> Your first video was a Zoom presentation, yeah, basically. Yeah. Right? Like for Google the record. Meet. Yeah. Well, it was it was like I was joking, like, you know, we're in our remote work era now. So like that <laughs> right, was the Right. And uh, and that's essentially yeah. This is return this is your return to office though, really. In yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that, you know, Eric and I's experiences are pretty different in that like I went in found other jobs and like before doing music i was i had i was an archivist for 10 years and like once we took a break i like went out and took a job at youtube and at nike and i have had this like brand career also right i think you know that difference between us has always been part of the creative magic between us i would say yeah yeah and you know eric is a songwriter and has been writing songs i also think that like yeah covid 2020 shutdown that's certainly was a factor but also like i feel like i'm at a place now with like my kids are a bit older where i'm looking ahead and i'm just kind of being like all right you know who am i you know i'm midlife midlife crisis shit right Right. so it's (laughs) like i i'm like do i do i really want to say goodbye to the part of myself that like did music for 10 years or can i find a way to incorporate that part of myself into my life now. So it, when Eric came to me and being like, I wrote all these songs, I want to do it. And I think it could be a talents record, but you would have to be involved. I was like, all right, let's talk about what that means. And let me see how, how I can get involved in a way that makes sense. And I'm now at this place where I'm like, I think tan lines is this like evolving project. I keep kind of describing it as like, those documentaries, those films, like seven up, 14 oh, yeah. up, yeah. which, I've seen none of them. <laughs> you understand <laughs> them conceptually, right. though. I understand them conceptually, where <laughs> yeah. it's just like, oh, yeah, like we did a kid's record when we were on quote unquote paternity leave. And now it's like we're in this remote era where like Eric's in the country and he's writing songs and I'm coming up there to help him finish them. I'm like, I would love it if we just found a way to keep doing this in the forms that our lives have taken on. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. 
these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. The idea that you could go away from it and come back to it is interesting to me. It's not easy. I mean, it's, it's, you don't just come back to where you left off, you know? Right. And so, right. so one of the things that's been really interesting about this is, is coming back after being away for so long and, and not, you know, not seeing how much the business has changed, which is like a thing people say or whatever, but you know, how hard it is to reconnect with people you once were easy to reach. Right. You know, their lives have changed too, right? They've had yeah. families and they've, they don't go to shows anymore. And so, right. so redis rediscovering that or discovering that it's been really interesting and also presented challenges too. Just to piggyback on the stuff that you guys are saying right now, like there is a, and I, I feel like Eric, well, you played me demos of some of this music 
And I feel like I, I don't know if I ever, you ever really answered my question, but like, I felt like there was a component and maybe this brings us full circle in some way of some of these songs where like, I feel like you're winking at things. You're, you're not joking, not joking, but having fun with things with like form, like song forms mm-hmm. in a way that feels like liberated from not, not that earlier tan line stuff felt like bottled up. Mm-hmm. But to me, there's songs on the record where I'm like, Eric's like, there's like, like uh, it burns effect. You should hear a song. Yeah, you should hear some of the ones that didn't make the album. <laughs> right. But like, that is a song. Like I, I take it very, I take it seriously as a song, but there's also an element of it. And this is maybe this is, maybe this is flood of dysentery. Maybe this is the undercurrent the, of, of no pun intended, a flood of dysentery or whatever we did in our basement where it's like taking something very seriously that has an element well, of I think play, I think is yes. a yes. I think is a way to describe what you're getting at. I think there I think on that song in particular and in some other parts of this album, Eric, and I'm sorry to speak for you, no, please. but like it <laughs> is like playing a little bit more than we had in the past. Than, yeah. than Talents had in the past. And I think that's an interesting um and I think a little like inspiring shift to see like at a, t- we think of like play as being a childhood, childhood right. thing. Right. And we, you, you know, you stop playing, you know, but I also think that there's a version of aging, growing, getting a certain kind of confidence and security to be able to play around in yeah. that I saw in this album that I hadn't really seen from Eric in the past. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Yeah. I don't want to, and I don't want to get too personal, but I will say this, like, you know, I'm in therapy, like any good you know, a person of my age is and should be. Uh, but I talked to, I've been talking a lot about, about play this play thing. And Eric, I don't want to, you know, talk too much about, although I did talk about our childhood on one of these episodes, like a while ago, where I went through my entire history of how I ended up doing what I'm doing. And, um, and I think that like, we actually didn't have in many ways, like when we were kids, we did not have like as much opportunity to play as like we probably should have because there was a lot of really weird shit going on like a lot of really hard stuff like not going to school and and dealing with that like as a as a thing in our lives i thought you just stayed home and played no 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 but i think (laughs) but i think at a time when there is like natural play there was a lot of stuff going on that is like actually very really stressful and really like kind of like a lot of mental overhead that i don't i haven't thought that much about ever and then, you know, now I'm like, well, why do I do certain things that I do? Or why do I feel certain ways that I feel? And it's like, oh, maybe there's like a chunk of me that needed to get that out somewhere else. And I think music is one of those places. I think like the stuff I make is, is for me personally, I mean, is one of those places where it's like there's some element of like create, create like creativeness that feels like unbridled, like un, untethered. And I think like, I, yeah, I think like this record is interesting to me because I hear that in the music. And again, I might be projecting or reading too much into it about our like, you know, history, but I will say the, this idea of play and of like doing something loose and like not taking it too seriously and that leading to like really interesting art is just generally interesting to me, but also like an exciting, but like, I think it's like you guys have found something on this record that, and again, I say this with a totally biased opinion, it's quite exciting and uh thank you anyhow yeah thank you that's just i don't want to end on just like compliment but (laughs) i'd love to (laughs) (laughs) i think what it returns to very briefly though is is your um idea of what what's fun and what isn't right playing why do we play 
because yeah. it's fun, right? right? So you should play and you should have fun all the way till you can't anymore. Right. Okay? Right. And find ways always to. And if you're lucky enough, maybe you can make it your job. But then that's when it stops. Traditionally, because <laughs> being play. Correct. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the challenge. But maybe having that period of, of where your job was something totally different allows you to go back to it as play. And that's the thing that's interesting to me. And that is what I hear on the record in a lot of places. I'm really inspired by like the later albums of some like legacy artists when they were like in middle age. I know this is something Eric has talked to, talks a lot about, but like that sort of freedom that happens when it's like the Rolling Stones working on like black and blue or whatever it was. They're like in their forties. <laughs> I know that like those aren't considered like, right, the like, peak steel, like album. steel wheels, like steel wheels. Yeah, era. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I know actually, it's like not that's there are a lot of people who are steel. In fact, Laura and I talk about her dad is a steel wheels era uh, Rolling Stones fan. Like that's when he came to the Rolling Stones. It was a lot of people like this fucks is good shit in there. It, I, I just think it's like an interesting perspective, like looking back, having done a whole career and then like still doing it and looking back. And it's a pretty like privileged position because a lot, most people don't get those chances. Right. Right. So I think that like there like are little indie, you know, l small version of that is like an interesting thread in this album and something I'd love to like keep, keep pulling at. Well, I hope that you do. Listen, I know that we got to, we got to wrap up. That's a very NPR like uh, uh, uh closing for me. <laughs> I do want to say one thing though, before we go, I want to say one thing. I uh, turned the air conditioning on in here and I turned my camera back on and I do believe that the air blowing on it has cooled it down enough to allow me to continue doing video here. So turns out that uh, just put a fan on it, no matter what it is, if it overheats, just get a fan on it. You'll be fine. I think that's my big takeaway from this conversation. <laughs> Give it a chance to cool down. Give it a little chance to cool down. Yeah, they brought out, was it a, I, I can't remember if it was a box fan or an oscillating fan. No, it was like a, it was like a, felt like construction equipment. Oh, maybe it was fan. one of those uh, steel like floor fans or something. All I'm saying was, is, and they propped it up on a more, yeah. I'm trying to bring this to a more philosophical place. Guys, oh, can yeah. you stop talking about the fan? I'm saying like like a lot of great things like your computer that shut down from overheating you give it a little time give it a little space put a fan on it let it cool down and people say you know what people say that was a great show <laughs> all right let's wrap it up okay great listen i know uh we could talk for many hours and and uh, in fact we have and we will i know this for a fact because uh we'll never be able to escape each other i mean there's definitely some stuff you know we didn't touch on well really and I, I, I no, I just think that like I, I don't know how much you prepare for these conversations. Very like, little, almost not at all. I think you should spike your interviews with like like Nardwar one or type of stuff. one or two Nardwar type zingers yeah. that just yeah. are, are far out of left well, field. I can't because do it with you because you're my fucking brother. I mean, there's all kinds of shit I could. Uh, I think flood of dysentery was pretty Nardwar. That's pretty yeah, good. Level. That's I mean, pretty good. That's pretty know, good. I think we got. Yeah. I think we got into some pretty deep cuts on this one. Actually, like the fact that Scott Aiello was mentioned at all, I think is a big. Oh, I gotta ask: Is he related to the Aiello's pizza family? I don't think so. No. No, I don't think so. I think it's a common Italian last name, I think. Well, and, yeah, uh, but in Pittsburgh, there's the, the, uh, the neighborhood pizza shop. 
No, Scott Aiello was famous for getting the getting going into Dairy Queen or wherever it was and ordering a cone and then smashing it into his face immediately. Legend. I, I think it was actually Dairy Queen. I think it was actually Dairy I, Queen. I couldn't I remember if that was Scott it. or not, right? But I, I think it, it sounded Scott. attractive. Scott was always Scott was a guy who was like always like he would put something down his pants or whatever. He'd be like, you know, put this like pour this entire punch bowl down my pants or something. It's very jackass. My recollection of that era of your friends was there were like a lot of jackass style shenanigans going on. And that's really like the era that that turned into the jackass era. That era was kind of like that. Yeah, <sighs> they were like, "How do I be terrible at skateboarding but still make content?" <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they, they, I think they paved the road for a lot of YouTubers. Yeah. You know, and you, you know this, they set the stage for a lot of Mr. Beasts. That's future president Mr. Beast to you, <laughs> President Beast. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, listen, guys, this is great. We got to do it again sometime. Thanks, Josh. Love being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Well, that is our show for this week. Uh, I have to say, you know, a flood of dysentery. I, I haven't thought about it for such a stupid name. So like teen boy just such a teen boy name trying to shock people with something stupid and gross very garbage pale kids real garbage pale kids situation going on with that naming that conversation really took me back boy i mean i'd love to get my hands on some some recordings of flood of dysentery i mean that has got to be some pretty heinous stuff anyhow all right we should wrap up we've gone on far too long or maybe not long enough Nah, probably too long. Anyhow, that is our show for this week. We'll be back next week with more What Future. And as always, I wish you and your family the very best. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.